If you are listening to the Candid Conversations podcast, it means you are ready to have a major breakthrough in your business. That is why we invite industry experts onto this show so you can fill your mind with valuable information. We exist because we believe business owners are the real investors of the economy. Here's your host, Charles Schwen from Flying Kite. Welcome to another episode of Candid Conversation. I'm your host, Charles Schwen. This is episode number 58. Today, I have Lebo Malefe on the show with us. And Lebo has, well, he's done, he's done a lot of different business ventures. And the latest the one is BizPlug. Lebo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Charles. So Lebo, you know, we were chatting a little bit off air and um, I was looking at your, your history and I, I found it quite fascinating. And I'm gonna just going to go through a little by little. Like you, yeah. before you started your business or um, officially, I mean, you backing even as going back as far as 2003, you even worked in construction as the foreman. Man, that must yeah. be like you, you, you that's definitely on its stage. Hey, and then you worked in procurement, you started multiple mm. businesses, and recently you were a guest at Heavy Chef, and that's how me and you reconnected again. But before I get yeah. to that, I, I want to find out a level, like growing up, right? So if I go back to level that is 13 or 14, what do you want to do? What was his dream? I, I, I always thought I would be a lawyer or a businessman. Okay. I'm a pastor's child, okay. so... Yeah. <laughs> my dad always said oh, I must end up in the church. And my version was I, I would I would serve in, in law in some form. And I think it's gotta do with um being an underdog. I just yeah, I, I grew up in environments that were unfair um to people that were disadvantaged. And I was a part of it. But for some reason, I think I've always had a hero complex, you know, like I've always thought I'm stronger than other people. I mean, I remember when we were playing football in Swaziland when I was still a, a little child. If there were seven of us and we had to split, I was always in the team with the three people. And, and you know, somehow I felt like three versus four, me being the part of three were equal, you know. And I think that that theme has, has stayed with me for life. So it's kind of like the David versus Goliath, but you like to take on the big giants. Yeah, I, I absolutely enjoy it. Actually, that's what keeps me alive now that I think about it. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just struck something. I, 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 I'm a big David and a versus Goliath fan, and I can relate with you. So, I mean, I am of Taiwanese descent. We're not exactly known to be tall. But yeah, a lot of Taiwanese people, Chinese people, their favorite sport is basketball. And we hmm. have no business playing that. We're like not exactly <laughs> known for, for being tall. However, one of the tallest players in the NBA ever, Yao Ming, is seven foot seven, and he is from China. Seven foot seven, wow. two point two three. Yeah. He makes Shaquille O'Neal look like a little kid. Wow. Uh, yeah, he he I, I remember watching an interview. Shaq said that was the first time he felt short or was against Yao Ming. <laughs> but but nevertheless, so I remember playing basketball growing up here um uh, in high school. I was always playing against guys that's taller than me. And it's the same. It's like, you know what, you're bigger than me. I'm going to outbox you, I'm gonna outjump you, outwork you, and make you look bad. So I'm with you 100%. It's like, it, it makes us so much stronger, right? It gives us a, a kick. Yeah. If you're bigger than me, you're supposed to beat me. But if I'm a little girl, yes. I beat you, 
Then yeah. I get bragging rights. It's 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 something yeah. like that, right? I love it. I love it. Yeah. So so did, when you chose business, mm-hmm. what did your dad say? Come back to the church. But did, was he supportive <laughs> or? The crazy thing about my upbringing, I come from a poor household, right? My mom was a was a nurse. My dad is a pastor, and yeah, we're on the unfortunate side of the spectrum. <laughs> there are people who have those profiles, but who grew up quite a quite an okay life. Um, ours was not okay. <laughs> ours was not okay at all. You know, it was it was quite a tough one. Um, from the rural areas, both in the Free State and Swaziland, to growing up in Hillbro. Life was just a struggle. It's been one long struggle after after another, right? Um, my dad, before he had us as kids, um, I'm his firstborn. Um, he had he had three businesses, you know, and for some reason, when he converted into the church, as in like when he when he got saved in 1979, that's when his business journey just deteriorated. Uh, I think his relationship with money and the concepts of how they were taught back then kind of screwed screwed up everything and my mom is Kosa by the way so and and you know it's not a lie that Kosa women love the soft life right and my mom was a gorgeous woman and my dad was a handsome dude you know like my brother actually looks like my my dad my, my dad was a model right so my mom of, often feels like my dad tricked him because geez bro like I met you rising hang you know you were flying up the ladder you're doing business you're modeling you're doing a couple of things he was already doing adverts in the 70s you know like he he was a man about town going somewhere with life so i grew up in that environment where there's a lot of books at home uh if if there's anything to inherit from from my dad it's just books there's nothing else and he always told us i don't have money for you guys but there's books here and we've got books for days and, and i inherited that appetite as well. I mean, I collect a lot of books and he always spoke about business, but he never executed. And this is after knowledge. You had the head knowledge. He's a very wise man, very, very smart, but he just never executes at all. Like he, yeah, he would start something, but not, not go with it or execute it. And for me, I always just take it back to church. I'm like his relationship with church or with God got messed up somewhere because the principles that he applied to his life kind of got warped once he got in, you know, and I've always had um, an aggravation towards that. I'm just like, we're done an injustice here in, in how you took this thing up, man, because there's a lot of other rich people who are in the church, like you did it the wrong way. And, you know, I'm being hard on him, but I'm just like, you brought us into this world, into poverty. Like before we were born, you were bowling. Like, can you continue with that theme so that we can also <laughs> live a nice life? Right. And it didn't quite happen that way. So because of that, we grew up in an environment that was not um, conducive uh, for, for business at all. But I had this appetite because I used to read a lot of books and he used to talk about business all the time. And I think my journey in, in entrepreneurship just started in high school because, you know, we never used to carry money. And I, I was fortunate to, to attend JP Boys High School. So I was one of the first... Um, few kids to enter multiracial multiracial schools back in 95 and it was hard it was not an environment you know somebody would would think you should be proud of that no it, it was hard because we're in this new environment and the black kids that are coming in are kids of politicians so they well to do and here you are your parents don't even know how they're going to pay school fees but somehow you got in 
and you have to find a way, you know, uh, around things. Like you don't even have lunchbox, just like typical things. And 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 that was almost like what what planted a seed or got me thinking about or being interested in in, in more in business. Like and that was more about I gotta make money, man. Like you know, so what was I'm surrounded what was by. You mentioned you mentioned that you started a business in high school. What was the first business you started in high school? Was it selling sweets, selling stickers? No, I was selling something else, and I can't mention it because it's <laughs> okay, okay. okay. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, all right. So let's let's go there. Let's not go there. Let's not. So you you had a literary yeah. hustle and and uh, and hoping you didn't get caught. And 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 yes. uh, so so. How about your second business that you can talk about? What what was that? <laughs> yeah, we, we started a fashion label just after high school. I had big dreams. I thought immediately after high school, I'm going to varsity. I actually um, qualified for it, but we were not guided enough. Um, we There was no plan. In fact, my kids had three, my parents had three kids. They were just fighting to survive, right? And me finishing school was enough for them. And not because that's what they wanted. It was, there was no means. And we didn't understand that you can go and apply for bursaries, all of these things. Like that was just not part of our psyche. And I wish we knew these things because I really wanted to do um, uh, uh, varsity, right? Because I thought if I can do a degree, um, it would empower me. If I don't do a lot degree, maybe do business management because already I was interested in business. So. It didn't happen that way. Uh, exited high school, found myself um, being a hairstylist, you know, um, working in town. And if I was not doing that, we were busy digging poles uh, at places like UJ because UJ was replacing their the old fencing and uh, putting in new structures. But you were working manual you know, labor. Yeah, I was doing a lot of manual labor in my early 20s. Uh, but at the same time as, as that was happening, we started a fashion label uh, uh, with a uh, with with a friend of mine, um, and he, you know, you know when you discover a talent that you don't know you have, but you keep seeing yourself do things. He was one of those guys. He was just a he he made some garments. I wore it. It looked cool, and um, I found myself uh, talking about it. And people loved how I spoke about this thing. And then people wanted to buy it, and we we're like, "Oh, this looks like a business. Let's 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 see where it goes." And you know, we started uh, introducing it to more people. We found ourselves entering fashion shows like SA Fashion Week. We dressed celebrities, and we we're just little kids, man. That just you know, what was the name? Trying of the stuff. What was the name of the label? It was called Mobile Clothing. Mobile Clothing. Long dead. Um, I want to ask you, like Mobile or Mobile. So, so you mentioned uh, you were working a lot of manual labor, like uh, working around TUT and stuff. So I'm just thinking, mm. did you ever run into, while you're working, digging the dishes, doing the manual work, did you run into anybody from school and they saw you? They're like, what are you doing? Did that ever happen? Oh, yeah. I got dumped by, by a, a girlfriend that didn't know how I hustled because we only connected on weekends. And on weekends, I was clean. You know, I was snappy. She bumped into me on a Thursday night. Who were, this was when I was, I was in construction, by the way. We were at East Rand Mall. I was looking scruffy. I used to have a massive afro. Um, it was full of mud and stuff uh, or cement. We were building one of the Woolies back um, 
back office things, right? And she was there for movies and she's not from the East, right? So I don't know what she was doing there with a bunch of friends. And there she sees me and she hopes I don't see her or I don't say anything. And, you know, I saw, and then I just walked past like uh, there was nothing and I saved her from embarrassment, but she dumped me. How long were you guys together? How long were you guys dating for at the time? Uh, it was about, I don't know, eight months, nine months, somewhere there. It was less hey, than a year. So, level, I can tell you, you dodged one because it goes to show that woman's character. She's not going to stick by you. She, that, no, of it, course. So, so that's, that's, you, you dodged one. You dodged one. And, and respect for, for, for you did the right thing by not calling it out, even at such a, such a young mm. age. So from, from what mm. I'm hearing is um, growing up in, a, in an environment and watching your dad, you had to learn labor work. And I'm pretty sure working as labor, you don't exactly get the highest respect from people. They like, you know, they, they, no. they don't, they don't. But it also taught you humble and to see people how they are really like. I mean, yeah. back now, I'm sure that you, you, you uh, like, I know a big part of what you do is, is mentoring young people. So the young people can never say to you, you don't know how it's like. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Let me tell you what I used to do. So, so big ups to that. And, and fast forward a few years, you, um, you were in, involved. The first time we met, I think this was in 2017, you were running a company called Third, the, the hookup dinner. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, later on, you were involved in the uh, company called The People's Farm. Now you got another company yeah. called uh, BizPlug. Now, yeah. what I want to find out from you is you mentioned that um, how you earn a living right now, even though you've got a great passion for mentoring, we got to pay the bills, right? Mm. And yeah. uh, so Burst Plug kind of helps that. And enterprise development, that's what the companies mm. hire you to do, to, to help yeah. small businesses take off ground. But not any small business, but the one that's in rural area, um, the one yeah. that is townships, that, that's helping mm. them. So I want to find out from you, from working with these, these, these youngsters, right? Do they turn into business because they want to or because they didn't have a choice? Meaning that they couldn't get into varsity, they couldn't get a job. What have you seen, the percentage-wise? Yeah. Mostly it's like me, and maybe that's why I can relate, right? Um, I didn't start a business because that's what I wanted to do. I, I, it was a means to an end, and I I was fortunate that my journey, then I got to discover what I really love doing and I could do it through business, right? Um, it's the same with the people that we meet on the ground all the time. They're just trying to make it living. They're just trying to survive, a lot of them, you know? And they have had many doors shut on their faces um, from places where on TV, radio, and everywhere else, they're told this is where you go. You know, you listen to the president say, uh, we've we've uh, put so much uh, money into this department and it's going to help people in these fields in one, two, three. But the reality on the ground is a bit different. Um, uh, they are on their own and they must make do with whatever that they have, right? So they don't start business because that's what they want to do. There is a sample and there is a, 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 a group within any environment, in any case, that wants to start a business that thrives in the face of adversity. And I have an appreciation and an understanding that I am not the norm, I'm an outlier. So I am not a person who's just going to walk into a community and tell everybody to start a business, um, knowing how hard it is even for me, for somebody who goes against the grain 
um, when I have an option to go and do something else. But I, I choose this path because it's something I'm really passionate about. I, I have that understanding that the next person might not want to do that, but they're forced to. So let's nurture the environment and create an enabling environment for them to, 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 to find a way through, through this life, you know? So if you have to, like, let's say out of 100, would you say 70% of them started the business because they had to, not by choice, or is it like 50%? 90%. 90%. 90%. More, not more. Okay, so 90% of them start the business because they had to. So here's my question. Mm. Not Because you've been in this journey for over 20 years now, right? I mean, from what you've yeah. seen, um, I know you most likely got this question before, but I'm talking about these 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 kids from the rural area and townships. Yeah, not everyone can be an entrepreneur because absolutely you have to have a thick skin. You have to be able to yeah. take rejection. You cannot like cry after third time somebody says yes. So yeah. when you see that, do they understand that part that they will face rejection? They they've been facing rejection all their life. So that's not the issue. The okay. issue is access to opportunities. And, you know, I also just feel like within the, the ecosystem of um, development practitioners, there needs to be a re-education and a process of unlearning. So that pe people like me who are on the other side who are trying to help uh, uh, people come with privilege, but we don't practice this privilege in the right way because, you know, Can we you don't- Can give an example? So having, having an appreciation that, like what you've just asked, not everybody can be an entrepreneur, but everybody can make a living, right? And maybe it's being self-employed. Maybe, you know, there's multiple ways that we can make money. There's a lot of hustlers, for instance, on the internet. The internet has democratized so many spaces. You can be a freelancer. That, that is a form of entrepreneurship or self-employment in some form, right? But we want to speak about this formal language of um, starting businesses and growing them and scaling them. Whereas we must first have an appreciation that they are lifestyle businesses, which majority of the population is probably going to be that, you know. These are just businesses where somebody's just trying to make a living and feed their families. And they actually don't, don't want the stresses of having to worry about a lot of things. They just want to make sure that they can take their kids to school, uh, they can um, contribute meaningfully to their communities. And that's as far as it goes. They are cool with that. And then there are um, a lot of informal businesses. Um, they, they don't even fall within the lifestyle segment as far as I'm concerned. Informal businesses are not even recognized, are not appreciated, and everybody shuns them everywhere. And yet, yet there's such a massive uh, pool of money to be made there that is being made. And then there's startups that, are, that then grow into um, scalable businesses, right? And the pool of entrepreneurs who can grow anything into something of scale, they probably, I don't know, maybe 5% of the population, maybe 10% at max, but it's not a lot. So if we have development practitioners operating in a space like this, where we must, where we are purporting to help other people to grow their businesses, as we call it, do we actually understand the environment for starters? Do we understand the psyche? Do we understand our own psyche and our own biases? about the, uh, what, what we should be doing. And a lot of us actually just take copy-paste uh, uh, practices from other places. Uh, for instance, what's quite popular in South Africa is uh, Silicon Valley talk, right? Mm. 
it even hurts in urban spaces, unfortunately, because we use these things without having an understanding of the environment. For Silicon Valley to exist in the way that it exists, we need to be able to study its history all the way back um, years, decades of how this environment came about and why it's such a thriving. Um, it, it didn't just happen overnight. There were multiple factors that contributed to it being such a thriving environment where everybody who wants to start a business or who wants to start a, a business that can scale, a technology business for that matter, goes towards Silicon Valley. And yet we take that, literally, we take that template, we are applying it across the board. Look at any development uh, um uh, program right now. We are talking lean startup. Uh, we're talking business model canvas. You know, we, we, we're taking literally the concepts of building technology startups and how it happens in Silicon Valley. Even the examples we put in, in the, uh, as, as we are educating people, we are using your Steve Jobs, you know, like nothing relatable to the local environment and what is actually going on on the ground. And that's ultimately what I am challenging in my head for myself. I take my own bias first every time when I speak out, I'm just like, oh, snap, that doesn't make sense. Did I just stop and listen and observe what's happening around me? Things fly past. I can get my invoice in, get paid, and I'm nice. And I can I want, I want to ask you, so you, you talked about mm -hmm. uh, the, a lot of the informal businesses don't get recognized. So when you say informal yeah. business, what kind of business? Are we talking about the, the lady on the side of the road selling sweets, making food? Or are you talking about those kind of business? What do you mean? Or, or the guys yeah. on the side of this road cutting people's hair? Yeah, a, a lot of them are not registered. So the, the guy who's making food, for instance, or the lady who's making food at the taxi rank. Um, she's not registered. She doesn't need that um, administration process because it actually takes away from she her doesn't, livelihood. She doesn't need a logo. She doesn't need intellectual property. Exactly. exactly. Her logo is her service. Yeah, she will, they will, she will know by her, the way she dressed, the food she cooks, word of mouth. Yeah. Word of mouth, people yeah. know who she is. And if you sat down and actually observed how much she's making a day, you'd realize that a lot of people who are in jobs wearing nice suits would envy her salary. But yeah, I've, I've read that a few times, but it's not glamorous, so people don't want to do it. Absolutely. And it's hard and work. I can relate. It's hard work. Yeah. Speaking hard work, she's probably up early, breaking her back, yeah. shopping things, carrying all the stuff. Yeah. It, it's not glamorous yeah. at all. I mean, it's by a taxi rack. It's not like she's got a social, there's yeah. no aircon. There's no coffee. Yeah. There's no fancy coffee machines, you know? But she's, like you said, yeah. she's just trying to make a living. So when you- The crazy thing. Yep. Just to touch on that point, <laughs> when I was in the hair salon industry, I was clean, right? Because I'm working in a salon, you know, I'm working with hair and majority of my customers are ladies and stuff. There used to be a guy who used to sell bananas outside of a salon, right outside. <laughs> I love bananas. That's what I'm smiling. I love bananas. I've got like so many bananas. That's why I'm smiling. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Mozambican guy. Fascinating dude. I got to make become real friends with him. I went, I went to Mozambique. That's, that was actually my 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 uh, my real journey into entrepreneurship. When I think about it, that started getting exposure. This guy, all he used to do was rock up at like five o'clock. No, not five, six. Yeah, he rock up at six o'clock. Put his plates of bananas outside the the, the salon. Before eight o'clock, those those bananas were being sold. sold. Yeah. No, the prices were different. Before eight o'clock, the bananas were two rand. Two? No, they were three rand. For one. After eight o'clock, no, for, for it was a, a plate. Okay, a plate. So the, okay. Yeah, this was back in 2001. And a plate was like four or five bananas. 
right? After eight o'clock, because the mass traffic has left, it would go back to his normal price. That's so smart. Oh, supply and yeah. demand. I like that. He's smart. And nobody taught him that, right? Nobody taught him that. He just knew. No, he, yeah, because he needed to move stock. He, he understood yeah. that it was, a, it was a low margins, high volumes game. And that guy, in a space of two years, I worked in the hair salon industry for 18 months. In, that, in the period that I knew him for, that guy had like had grown into about three or four corners ac across town doing exactly the same thing. But how does he, look does he, does he uh, uh, um, what's what I'm thinking about, rotate different times? How is he able to be at different spots? Did he set different customers no, at different he, times he, or what? He replicated the template. He, he no, was but, building but, an empire. So he hired people to run his business or what? Yes. Yeah. But you know, if he if, hired if, people. That, that's a great example because the barrier of entry, meaning if I can buy from the supplier, I can do the same thing. So there was nothing stopping his guys doing the same thing. So if, yeah. if look at this from a business lesson point of view, right? If there's no yeah. big selling point, hey, guess what, Level? I worked for you for four months. I know where you buy your supplies. I saw what you did. Thanks, Level, for the lessons. I'm going to start my own. There's nothing stopping those people. Yes. Except most people don't want to do that hard work. But they just want to. He had a they don't want to go to the early market, and they just want to rock yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my, my, most of business is not about the the genius idea; it's about execution. You know, that's actually what what separates real entrepreneurs from the rest. They execute excellently and efficiently. You know, it's it's, it's survival of the fittest in the space. And he did that consistently. And he he bought himself a baki. And when I got to visit his house in Mozambique, I was shocked, man. The banana man. Huh? This man had a this man had a double story from bananas. <laughs> wow. wow. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Like that's, that's pretty epic. Like, it, 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 no, I'm telling you, like it changed my whole view of, of, of how things go. Even then, it took time for me to, to really take it in because I remember when I left the salon industry, then I went into uh being a, a foreman in construction. I was working for my uncle. And I, I would bump into my old school friends. And of course, they're in varsity, they just exited varsity. They, you know, they, they, they're moving up the food chain. And here I am looking dirty, feeling ashamed of, of my trade, right? And yet, on any given week, I used to, in my pockets, because we operated in cash, I used to have between 20 and 50K. And my uncle was teaching me that, that, that space, you know, like it was about cash, always have proper cash around you. We, we made a lot of money, but I was not proud. I, I did not enjoy looking dirty, really. And I remember when we were doing tiling at Discovery, the old Discovery office in Senton, I'd be looking with tiling outside and I'd be looking at, at, at guys going into the call center and he, he would see me and he'd be like, I can, see, I can see what's happening. Because you know how to speak English, you went to good, a good school and stuff, you want to be those guys. I can tell you now that those guys, if they saw what you are making, they would envy you. He told me all these things, you know, and somebody's telling you all the things, but you you just like, bro, like, I just want to wear, yeah. I want to wear a tie, man. <laughs> you know, I left a job with him where I was, I was earning my, 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 my basic was about 21K, if I'm not mistaken, back then. That but was, I was making on every... Yes. That's not bad. 2003. That's, that's not a bad pay for 2004. 
That was a massive pay. Never mind. It was a massive pay, bro. I was I was earning about I was about I know exactly how much I was earning. Sixteen thousand five hundred. I used to work for insurance at the time, so my salary was yeah. sixteen to eighteen. I served. I sat in a comfy room, comfy chair with aircon, and get the <laughs> level. The guy that's getting dirty was making more than me. You know what I mean? Like, I I looked at that. I was like, no, I want to go and sit in the comfy chair, like 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 all my peers. And you know, I left. I went, got into a learnership, got into corporate for about five years. Um. I would almost say worst decision of my life, but actually that also became um, a beautiful thing because I got to learn about the formal uh, formal business and, and and how things go, and as it contributed to where I am now. Mm. So I want to I want to just mm. switch the conversation a little bit to the 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 enterprise development that you that 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 you're doing. So if yeah. if companies out there they want to hire you, what kind of company will be looking for you? Is it the type of company that that they realize there's a gap in what's being taught, i.e. the copy-paste Silicon Valley style, or at what point do they normally come to you? Yeah, so so majority of corporates all need a social license to trade. And what that means is, as corporate citizens, uh, they need to invest in communities, especially where they are extracting Like the CSI? Is, does that fall on part of the CSI? Yeah, it falls under CSI, it falls under affairs. So with bigger companies, there's multiple departments. CSI becomes a smaller department, but corporate affairs is a bigger one. It, 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 it's the, that department is mostly fa- uh, government facing. It's about um, stakeholder engagement, management, all of that type of stuff. And as a result of that, they they are tasked with investing in communities. And one of the investment practices is to help people build their businesses and create wealth for themselves in those communities. So that's where enterprise development falls in. So somebody like me would would go in, would run a campaign, um, recruit entrepreneurs, uh, take them through a training and development intervention, and uh, and then post that it's about creating a pipeline. Either they get invested in in terms of um, actual money, or they get um, opportunities into uh, supply chain. You know, uh, it's just about getting them ready to interface with. Um, uh, multiple businesses. Some of them, um, for instance, get a lot of purchase orders from government supplying just basic stuff like stationery or parts or whatever that, that is needed in the local thing. And that's how actually um, we are able to service the same people we, we develop in our funding business. I see that. That's fascinating, man. So if there are businesses out there, you're listening to this podcast, you like, you gotta, you wanna get hold of Level. Now you know what he does and what he specializes in, and get hold of him. Go, uh, I mean, so where where will be if somebody's listening right now and they want to say, hey, we need to bring Level in. Where's where's the best channel to get hold of you, and how should they get hold of you? Um, I'm I'm on most uh, social media platforms, but you, yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, on LinkedIn, I actually like that uh, because we get to vet each other out first, right? <laughs> we get to decide whether we want to talk to each other or not. Because <laughs> also a lot of people are just time wasters that are trying to um, pick your brain but not actually u- u- utilize your services. And sometimes it's good. It's just the nature of how people do things. They are takers, so you've got to find a way to protect yourself. Um, but I'm 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 easily accessible. I'm not. It's not a tough thing to do. Lebo, you know what? It's been a, such a fascinating conversation. I mean, my my, my last question be, before before I let you go is, 
Um, I know you're thinking you grew up in. It made me smile when you say you grew up in a in a, in a, f- a family, even though you were not wealthy in material stuff. The books, like full of books. I remember years ago, there's a lady called uh, I think her name is Cat Coke, like a Coca-Cola, C-O-K-E, yeah. Cat Coke, and they visited a prison, um, and they basically people that went with her. She wanted to show people how similar we are or what the differences are. So she was, have you heard of this story, Cat Kirk? No. So so they went to the prison. So the people that went with her are everyday people and to visit the the prisoners to, to, to show them, okay, what's the difference? How did it end up there? So they were asking them questions to see that, um, take a step forward if this is you. Take a step forward if this is you. For example, uh, did you grow up in an environment when both mom and dad are present? Take a step forward. And one of the questions I remember is, did you grow up in a household with books? The people mm. in prison, a lot of them didn't have that. And that for me was yeah. like a mini drop moment. That was kind of like they were never in that environment. So when you said that you were in an environment that had books, I mean, I, I, I personally think that's the greatest gift that your father can yeah. give you by read and read and read. Like that's one of the lessons that, that my dad taught me too. Like he taught me years ago, I'm in my twenties and I'm only um, like understanding it now is in, when you're young, read as much as you can. You might not understand yeah. everything, but you will remember. Yes. But as you get older, your memory might yeah. fade. You will understand what you read. And that's like the yes. wise lessons my dad ever taught me. So, I mean, the, 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 the question that I said, this is such a long-winded way of asking the question is, because I'm pretty <laughs> often thinking. So my question is this, what have you changed your mind or thinking on in the last year? So I think about the Ooh. last years, it's probably turbulent. So is there any um, mindset or, or, or saying or something that you like, no, that's actually totally wrong because whatever happened in the last year? I know it's a tough question. Yeah. asking tough questions. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually comfortable with it. You know, um, there's a current book I'm reading now. I'm actually listening to it because it's on Audible for the third time um, by Ray Dalio. It's Principles of a Changing World Order. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know that book. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I'm getting to appreciate over time is that you must operate your life based on principles because a lot of things can be moved by, 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 by feelings and all sorts of things. And, you know, but if you've got a set of principles that you operate and live by, you're going to be fine. And, 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 and further to that, so for instance, one of my principles is to lead with love. It's something that I said for a while without fully understanding what it means up until I got to understand uh, my little daughter. I've got two daughters. One is 16 and the other one is turning eight this month, you know, and the little one, I often, because my, when I grew up, my parents didn't, didn't grow up in an environment where your parents tell you they love you all the time, but they loved me. Their actions showed it. So I'm trying to practice that next level where I'm like, I tell my daughters, I love you, I love you, I love you, you know? And my daughter, a couple of years ago, she was like, I'm, I'm like, I love you, Uko. It's like, it was in the morning. I did you. You love me all the time. Love you, love you, love you, you know? <laughs> and that hurt me, right? Why did it hurt me? It's because at the time, when I was saying I love you, I expected her to say I love you too. And what that reminds me of is that we do things because we're expecting something in return. And that is not true love. 
mm. right? True love is doing the right thing regardless of what, what is happening, regardless of the outcome. Like, do it because it is the right thing to do. And so, and therefore, when I lead in my spaces uh, that, that I'm involved in, when I say lead with love, you must know that majority of the time is not going to be reciprocated, but it's the right thing to do. And it's going to pay you in kind, in, like elsewhere. It's not going to necessarily uh, be repaid in kindness from your immediate environment. And that has been a lesson that um, has just been emerging more and more for me, especially for this past uh, 18 months. You know, the transition that I've been going into in building, building this new company, I, I feel brand new all over again in what I do. But I am fortunate that I can now apply certain theories um, and apply it with wisdom, knowing that I am not doing it for, for these people here. I am doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I really want to uh, find myself applying more of these type of principles where I am not moved by, 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 by the environment and situations, but I operate according to a set of principles. I love that. I love that. And then uh, just a quick, uh, uh, quick uh, uh, update. I, I made a um, mistake on cat's surname it's h-o-k-e hoke not coke so it's cat h-o-k-e and there's a wonderful article by a guy called robert glazer uh he's got a wonderful platform called friday forward and that article second is called second chances and confirmed bias basically they talk about how cats work uh, with uh, help convicted inmates to get a second chance at life by doing these little exercises it it was it's really really cool but uh, level, yeah. um, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it very, very much. Thanks, man. Have a good one. If you would like to connect with Charles, get in touch with him on LinkedIn, Charles Schwinn, or follow him on Instagram, Flying Kite Today. Till next time.